Welcome to Matan's Parsha podcast, Sefer Dvarim. Each week, a different Matan teacher will share words of Torah to illuminate the Parsha and your week. Today's Shiur and Parshat Vayelech will be given by Serena Novik. Serena has been coordinating the Matan Summer Program since 2017 and is a graduate at the Matan Bellows Eshkelot Institute for Tanakh and Jewish Studies. Today, for Parshat Vayelach, we'll be speaking about the value of experience. And when I say experience, I'm not referring to your resume or CV or that type of life experience, but experience meaning being present. Um, I'm someone who deals a lot with experiential education, so it sits very close to home. But what is that power of experience? We're familiar with uh, idioms like be there or be square. And and it reflects this idea that there are some things that you can't make up if you miss. Um, there's certain certain experiences that if you weren't there, um, you won't understand. You can't get the cliff notes. You can't uh, get the recording after the fact. When people say you had to be there, it's because if you weren't, you, you truly won't understand. You truly won't get it. And what we're going to do is explore how this idea of the value of experience manifests itself in Jewish practice, how the Torah delineates that there are some lessons that require us to undergo an experience in order to internalize the messages we're supposed to gain from them. Um, we're learning or hearing about an experience just isn't enough. So we are going to start out with a segment from Parshat Vayelach. Um, what's going on at the beginning of this Parsha is that Moshe is getting old and he's getting ready to transfer the reins to Yehoshua. So how that begins in Paraklamid Aleph is Moshe announces... Uh, that Yehoshua is going to be the next leader, and he does so publicly. In front of the entire nation, and he tells them, Yehoshua will be the one bringing the people into the land. Um, he's told, you know, Chazak be strong and brave, and that God will be with him. God is not going to abandon you, Yehoshua. And then we have an interesting little break. Um, we're told that Moshe goes ahead and he writes down the Torah for the Kohanim. Um, and then we get this extra detail of a mitzvah that seems out of place. We're told about, we've been told before about Shemitah, but now we're told about this new mitzvah of Hakel that also comes up every seven years at the end of the Shemitah cycle. Um, and the question is, what is it doing here? Because right afterwards, we continue with the appointment of Yehoshua, where Hashem tells Moshe that he's going to die soon, and Yehoshua should come to the Ohel Moed. And so we're, what I'm going to ask and develop today is, what is the purpose of that interruption? What is the role of Hakel in this story of Yehoshua's anointment? And if you are interested in exploring this further, um, I will recommend taking a look at a beautiful analysis by Rabbi Ari Khan in his book, Echoes of Eden, on Sefer Dvarim. Um, I, I will be taking us in a slightly different direction today, but if you're curious about this, definitely look there to explore further. To understand the interruption... The most important thing is to really understand Hakel. What is Hakel? Um, and what goes on there? The basic instructions are that, uh, is that every seven years and the second day of Sukkot following a Shemitah year, everyone is supposed to gather in the Mikdash to hear the king read the Torah, large sections of Sefer Dvarim. Um, who's there? Who's meant to be there? Hanashim, Vanashim, Vahataf, Vegercha, Ashir Bisharacha. In short, everyone. The men, the women, the children, the converts, everyone should be present. And we're also given the purpose. Lama'an Yishmeu, Ulma'an Yilmedu, Viyaruat Hashem Alokechem, Vishamru Asota, Koldi Vrihatarahazot. Why? So that 
you will hear, you'll learn, and you'll fear God um, in order to Hashem your God, in order to keep His Torah. That there is something about this experience that should instill upon you this fear of God that you will keep with you in order to keep his Torah appropriately. What was the experience like? The Rambam and the Sefer Achinuch describe it. And it was a huge event. Everyone's coming to Yerushalayim. Um, trumpets were blown to gather the people. Uh, there was a huge wooden platform brought and set up in the Ezrat Hanashim, in the Mikdash, that the, that the king would stand on. There was a whole procession to bring the Sefer Torah to the king to read from. The, uh, it was brought by the Chazan of the Beit Knesset, who gave it to the head of the Beit Knesset, who gave it to the assistant Kohen Gadol, who then gave it to the Kohen Gadol, who then presented it to the king, all a huge display of honor and kavod, and the ki- king had the choice to sit or to stand, um, and would make a bracha of Kriyat Torah on the sections, would read all of it in front of the people, um, would close off reciting uh, brachot followed by another seven brachot, huge, huge display. And if we just think about especially the magnitude, the magnitude was hard to comprehend, right? We can picture maybe, you know, similar to Olala Regal, but you can't even compare. When they would come for the Shalosh Regalim to the Mikdash, so many people were exempt. The women weren't there, the children were likely not there. And here, Everyone is present, and the, the event is something that would be ingrained um, for all to remember. But the question is, you know, with, with Hakel, everyone notes this is a unique mitzvah in it requiring the children to be present. To what end? What's the purpose? Children, if they can't understand a public reading with all the segments, so why should they be there? And it does compel some of our shame to say, no, it must be children who do understand at least a little bit. That's what the Ramban says. It does instill fear in them because they can understand it's at least an age where they're approaching Chinuch, where they can gain something from hearing the words of the Torah. But more famously, perhaps, the Gemara in Chagiga, Daf Gimel Amud Aleph, in the name of Rabbi Elazar ben Azaria, says, it is to give, the children have to be present in order to give reward to those who bring them. Definitely seems to be under the assumption that these are very, very little children who can't understand. And the parents get reward for bringing them there. I still feel that need to explain, you know, why is it so, right? Why is it so important? Why do we add in this extra mitzvah to give them schar? And it's a powerful question to the extent that Akhtava Kabbalah explains if the parents are going, that it's a practical concern. If the men are obligated and the women are obligated, the children are going to have to come too, right? There aren't going to be babysitters at home to watch the children if every all the adults are obligated. So yalla, you know, it's, it's a philosophy. If if this is going to have to happen anyway, the goal of the tour is to give us schar. Let us get schar for something that's going to happen anyway. It's almost an extra gift. But the Sefer HaChinuch takes it into a slightly different direction. He says that this will be an impressive event, even for those who don't understand, children included. Perhaps even bringing the children help inspire the magnitude of the event, right? If you see something so huge with all the children in addition to all of the adults, this is a huge event and it gives off uh, the importance of a life centered around Torah. Imagine a king standing on this huge pedestal, and what is he speaking? Words of Torah. It will be clear to everyone that this is all about life being centered around Torah. Everyone's going to look around and say, what is going on? It's going to inspire questions. 
And what will the answer be? Why are we here? Why is everyone here? To hear the words of Torah, which is an incredible gift, the essence of our lives, um, with you know the, the splendor and glory that is associated with Torah. And from there, it'll bring the people to come and praise the Torah further, to internalize and bring into their hearts a cheshek, a yearning to learn Torah more, so that they will come to a place where God is happy with them in their behavior because of having internalized this event. Rambam follows in line with the Sefer Achinuch, saying it really is about the impression of the event, more so than just being about understanding. He takes in the direction, right? You can have people who won't benefit from the event because they're too young and so they don't understand. But it could also be in the case of converts. What if there are people who can't hear because they're too far away? You know, there's a huge number of people and there's one king. They still need to be there. Or a convert, again, who does not understand, why does he need to be there? Because it's about experience, about participation, participation in the event, not dependent on understanding. And the Rambam requires, as part of this mitzvah, that those people especially, the converts, if they don't understand, what is your role? To direct their hearts. What should be the attitude? Not the focusing on the hearing understanding, but being present to come with the awe and the reverence as there was on the day of Ma'amad Harsinai. That should be the experience of these people. You might not understand, but you can come with an intentionality and with that appreciation of taking in the experience around you. The Rambam continues to say, The same holds true for wise people. You can have people who this isn't relevant to, or you might think it's not relevant to, because they won't understand. Or you could say it might not be relevant to Chachamim, because actually they already understand. Why do they need to hear Hakel? They've probably read Dvarim, who's no, who knows how many, how many times. And yet, we are told that they must. They must go ahead uh, and, and also be present. Why? Because the goal of them being at Hakel is to strengthen their faith and experiencing as if the Torah was to given to them anew, right? This refresher, this feeling of here I am, let us picture this as a new Ma'amad Harsinai to reinstate my dedication to Torah. Well, this might be, Hakel, the only place where we're explicitly commanded to have everyone present for such an event, right? We're talking about, again, the wise, uneducated, little children, the entire gamut of society where everyone must be there. There are still two other occurrences that seem to, in many ways, parallel Hakel's massive event and the fear of God that it's meant to instill in the people. Uh, what am I referring to? One is Yetziat Mitzrayim, which we commemorate every year with our Sedar Pesach. And also Mamad Harsinai, our receiving of the Torah. For Yetziat Mitzrayim, we're already told at the Seder, almost reminding us of the Rambam that we just referred to, that Afilu Kulanu Chachamim, Kulanu Nevonim, Kulanu Skenim, Kulanu Yodim Torah. Even if the people are very wise and they know the entire Yetziat Mitzrayim story, they still obligated in the mitzvah. And are even told, And the more that you speak about it, the better. It's not relevant to what you know or what you don't. And even that piece of our Haggadah continues with the five rabbis learning in Bnei Brak, all of whom you might have thought would be exempt. Four of them coming from uh, Shevet Levi, 
who uh, the rabbis say were not enslaved to Mitzrayim, and the fifth one being Rabbi Akiva, who was a descendant of converts, who certainly his ancestors were not there. And yet, it doesn't matter. Everyone needs to be there, and they spoke at length. Um, and that is our obligation in Sipor Yetzi Mitzrayim. This, by the way, comes without even mentioning the children at the Seder table. We all know, you bring these little kids to the Seder table, and who knows how late they're really going to stay up, right? How much do I rush through pieces so that we can make sure to get to Dagenu by the time, you know, before this child falls asleep, right? And, and yet the entire Pesach seems to revolve around these children who can barely keep their eyes open for the Seder. And it seems to revolve around them. In Shemot, Perakud Gimel, when we're given a mitzvah of Pesach that you can't eat Chamitz, we also get the directive, the instruction that you are obligated to teach your children on that day. Right? This this being one of the sources for Sipur Yetziat Mitzrayim and our obligation to have a Seder Pesach, that this is part of the fulfillment of Pesach is specifically to teach our children. If we go back earlier in the story of Yetziat Mitzrayim, there is also an explanation in Shemot Perak Yud that one of the reasons God gives for hardening the hearts of Paro and his servants is because I want you to tell your children about this, about how I, God, interacted with Mitzrayim and the, you know, what I brought upon them so that so that you know, I'm Yisrael, B'nai Yisrael, that I am God. I am performing it to time in this way because I want it to be a story that stays with you in your family. Moshe clearly also addresses the centrality of children and being part of this experience. Right after the plague of Barad, hail, Paro agrees, Yala, we're going to let the Jewish people go, worship their God in the desert. But first, what does he ask? Miva miha hochim. Right, who is going? We're going with everybody. The old, the young, our daughters, our sons, all the cattle, everybody is going. And Paro says, even the children can't be. And forbids them from going unless it's just the men, at which point God says, next plague, locusts. Children were part of the Etiat Mitzrayim experience. They were part of the slavery. The baby boys were thrown into the Nile. And of course, they must be included in the redemption process as well. And they are the focus of our Seder. We do lots of things around children at the Seder. So that even if they don't ask, we will try to get them to. Rambam Hilchot Chamitzu Matzah in the Mishnah Torah talks about... What are the things that we'll do at the Seder? We'll pass out nuts and candy. We'll do strange things like moving the table, like having people steal the matzah, all for the purpose of having the children ask. Right? That is the concept of manishtana, noticing the things that are strange. And there's almost, I would say, a running joke. Right? How many times do we do things on the Seder night so children will ask? And then the question is, okay, so what happens when they do ask? We say, ah, joke's on you, you know, just so, to make sure that you would keep asking questions. But that's really it. The more that you're involved, the more that you feel part of things, the more that you're curious and asking and participate, you are likely to have the event have an impact on you. Rav Ramon's Haggadah describes really the educational beauty of Seder night, that there is something for everyone, right? If you think about it, you have storytelling for audio learners, you have arithmetic for the math minds, you have all sorts of props for visual learners, there can be you know, actions, leaning, uh, dipping for kinesthetic learners, everything is there. The goal is for everyone to be engaged. 
How can it be that you have, let's say, the same action? You know, everybody has to lean. Whether you are wise or a child or an elderly person, right? How could it be that it's the same technique for the young and the old? And Rav Dessler gives a beautiful answer. Because the mitzvah of the night he describes is to take the truth of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, that powerfulness of that event, and integrate it into our hearts. And he says, We might have very smart intellects. But your heart? That is a simpleton. And there's childishness in our own hearts. And we have to understand that the same language that speaks to a child, that speaks to an adult heart as well. It is a important lesson in, in Avodat Hashem. To the degree that Sefer Achinuch says, even if you are alone, right, there is no child to get to ask questions. You should be asking those questions yourself. Even if no one is there, the words must come out of your mouth. That is what will inspire our hearts. We need to hear ourselves speak. And the Seder obviously is all about speaking. The Haggadah, the Shorish means to speak. Our Matzah is you know, Lechem Oni, which the Gemara and Pesachim describes, Lechem She'onin Alav Darim Harbeh, right? The bread that many words are spoken over, with the goal, again, of inspiring our hearts. The Chol Dorvador says the Haggadah, Chayav Adam Lirot Etatmo Ki'ilu Hu We have to feel that we left ourselves. Everyone is included in that. Women included, despite it being a time-bound mitzvah, because they were included in this miracle as well. Rav Salvechik describes this is the difference between Zechira, the, the mitzvah that we have to remind ourselves of Yitzhak Mitzrayim on a daily basis, and Sipor, having to tell the story on Seder night. On Seder night, we have to elaborate in greater detail about the miracles and wonders, not just mention with minimal recollection. Seder night is not about going through the motions. It is about experiencing. Let's move on to another experience in the Torah where it is that experience that takes the front seat in priority. And that is Ma'amad Harsinai. All were present at the event. And the experience was clearly a powerful one. Right? After hearing um, about Hashem, after hearing Hashem, sorry, in Shmot Perik Chaf, uh, and hearing his voice give that Seret Hadibrot, the people turn to Moshe and they think we're going to die. Moshe tells them, you know what? You might be afraid, but you shouldn't fear for your lives. Why? Because the fear that you're feeling, that was God's goal. If you remember this fear, then you will not, uh, you will not sin. That fear will be ingrained on your hearts, so that you will constantly be in awe of a Baruch Hu and try not to transgress his ways. There's a, there's a classic question actually on the Haggadah, right? Uh, in Dayenu. We always ask, really, would it have been enough? If, if I went to Har Sinai and I did not receive the Torah, would that have been enough? And the Lubavitcher Rabbi, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, says yes, it would have, because they would have gained from that event nonetheless. What would they have gained? They would have seen God's glory, as described in Dvarim Perak Hay. That hen her anu, they acknowledge that Hashem showed us, Hashem alokeinu, ekvodov at golo, that kolo shamanu mitocha eish. We underwent this experience, and that experience is a powerful one, even had we not heard the Torah. There is powerful there. There is something humbling about Mamad Harsinai. To the extent that Masachat Nedarim makes a statement in uh, Daf Kaf Amud Aleph, 
if there is someone who does not have the capacity, it says, to be embarrassed, to feel shamefaced, then you can know it is known his ancestors did not stand at Mahmoud Harsinai. This is something that is so far ingrained that it should be passed on through generations, and we will doubt someone who lacks that. And so we start to see an overlap between these various events. We have Hakel and Yetiat Mitzrayim, both with a goal of creating an environment of wonder that will bring about questions that inspire this awe of God. And now we can also start seeing overlap between Hakel and Mahamad Harsinai and Yetiat Mitzrayim as well. In Dvarim, right, where this is Moshe's final speech to the people, right, the things that he wants them to walk away with past his death, one of the pieces are Rika is right that you should not forget every day of your life what you saw at Mahmad Har Sinai. That picture should be emblazoned upon you, so that because you need to pass this on and ingrain it in the hearts of your children. And it uses the same word as hakel. The day that you stood before God at Chorev, when God told me, gather the people, that same phrase, hakel, gather them here, so that they can learn, I'll have them hear my words, so that they will fear God all the days of their lives. This needs to be passed on, that impression. And Devarim continues to describe the scary scene that was there, the mountain ablaze with fire, the darkness. Mahmoud Harsinai was certainly, without question, meant to make an impression. And we can also know this, because at this point, who is there? Who's in Devarim? Who's at Mahmoud Harsinai? Sorry, at, uh, at Moshe's final speech? Only the people who have not died out in the desert. Who is that? You have Kalev and Yehoshua, who didn't sin at Chedam Araglim. And you have people who are under age 20 at the time of Chet Hameraglim, the sin of the spies. And then the Gemara adds a few others. It says people over 60 at the sin of the spies who weren't fit for war, the Levi'im. And according to Rashi, the woman who loved Eretz Yisrael, these are the people who are the last people standing who might remember Mahmoud Harsinai at this point. And they are charged with this important mission of passing it on, which means we expect that it is emblazoned on their minds. You might have been young, you might have been old, but this is something you will not forget. And I would say the the Yotzeh Dofen, the... Uh, the unusual inclusion here is, is perhaps the woman. If the woman survived the Midbar, how is it that they are charged with this extra importance of you need to be the ones to pass this on to your children? What the experience was like, what the event was what, like, so that we can remember to fear God. And uh, Rav Salvechik actually famously, in the uh, eulogy for the Talna Rebetzin, talks about the unique koach and talent of Torah Imacha. What kind of Torah, he says in this eulogy, does the mother pass on? That Judaism expresses itself not only in formal compliance with the law, but also in a living experience. He says, she, my mother, taught me that there is a flavor, a scent, a warmth to mitzvot. I learned from her the most important thing in life, to feel the pressure of the Almighty and the gentle pressure of his hand resting upon my frail shoulders, right? To feel the presence of the Almighty and the gentle pressure of his hand resting upon my frail shoulders. Through experience, we can have this, I would say, revelation of a Kaddish Baruch Hu in a real way, um, in a living way, and something that women um, should, uh, in many ways, be able to do. 
Hakau, Yatitmi Traim, and Har Sinai thus far all show that power of experience. That some experiences can't be replicated unless you were there, and if you weren't there, we're going to try and come up with a way to re- recreate the experience, not just tell you about it. Yehoshua knows this rule, and he's going to need to lead a generation who didn't experience these events as directly. How does Yeshua know this rule? Because he experienced it through Yitzhak Mitzrayim and Ma'amad Har Sinai and received instructions about Hakel, but not just because of those things. Yes, he was there, but also it is precisely through experience that Yehoshua became the next leader of Am Yisrael. Everyone wonders, Yehoshua, why was he the one chosen? We had other people who could have uh, stepped up. There's Kalev, who was way more vocal at Chedemer Aglim. We have Pinchas, who definitely stepped up, zealous to do God's will. Why Yehoshua? And we're told that he was chosen because he was a Misharet, Misharet Moshe. He served, he was an apprentice to Moshe. And he's referred this way again and again as Moshe's servant. When he accompanies Moshe partway up Har Sinai, when he tries to defend Moshe, <coughs> And is zealous on his behalf um, when Eldad and Medad prophesy in the camp. At the start of Ye- Sefer Yehoshua, he's introduced as Misharet Moshe. Why is it so powerful to be an apprentice? Gemara Brachot, Daf Zayin Amud Bet says, G'dola shimusha shel Torah yoter milimuda. Service of Torah is greater than its study. If you are able to serve a Torah scholar, spend time in his company, that is even greater than learning Torah from him. We know that with Moshe, Bava Batra also describes Moshe being likened to the sun, as opposed to Yehoshua, who's likened to the moon. And usually we think about that in a negative way, right? Yehoshua was small compared to Moshe. But maybe there's also a positive aspect. A moon reflects. It has enough proximity to the sun, is enough awareness almost of the sun, is receiving enough of the sun's light that he can reflect that light back. And that's what Yehoshua does. He's able to pass it onwards to the people. And eventually Yehoshua actually achieves a status similar to Moshe. He's called an Eved Hashem at the end of his life, just as Moshe is at the end of his own life, both referred to as Ovdei Hashem. We can certainly say that a parent would naturally want to pass on leadership to his children. Um, Amidrash says that Moshe was included in this. He did not necessarily want to pass on the reins to Yehoshua. And the Midrash that addresses this actually comes a little harshly to Moshe and says, Your children, Moshe, they weren't fit for the job. They didn't busy themselves with Torah. But Yehoshua, what did he do? He doesn't even respond by saying, Yehoshua, on the other hand, he learned Torah. No, what does it say? He served you and gave you much honor, Moshe. That he would be the earliest one to come into your meeting place and the last one to leave. He would set the benches, you know, lay out the mats. He served you with all of his strength, Moshe, and therefore he will serve the people as well. And we could think about that, right? Why was it that Yoshua was the person who was at Moshe's side all the time and not Moshe's children? The, uh, you know, Tav Sofer and Torah and Moshe give, give a harder explanation. Moshe was the leader of the people. And this is certainly a community uh, leader's challenge of, of the amount of energy given to the community or to your individual household. And Moshe was a man of the community. And so his children were not apprentices of their father the same way that Yehoshua was. 
We could also add in, after having spoken about the power of Ma'amad Harsinai, there's even a question of whether Moses' children were present at Ma'amad Harsinai. They reunite with Moshe at the beginning of Parshat Yitro, and there's a debate of when that occurred that might have been after Ma'amad Harsinai actually took place, which means Moshe's own children did not undergo that event of fear of God and did not have that instilled in them in the same way. So if we think back now, in the midst of Yehoshua's appointment and passing on of the Torah, um, passing on those reins that we see in Parsha Vayelach, Yehoshua is being taught about Hakel, which is essentially how to preserve the experience for the next generation. Moshe's generation, Dor Hamidbar, they had Yitzhak Mitzrayim, they had Ma'amad Harsinai to instill fear in them. But Yehoshua needs this mitzvah of Hakel about how to lead a new generation, the generation born in the desert. So it is and it's fitting for Moshe for this mitzvah to be inserted in the middle of Yehoshua's appointment since he is someone who understood that power of experience. That's exactly how he apprenticed Moshe. So if we look at Yehoshua's lifetime, he really does behave in ways similar to this hakel experiential reality. Although there was no formal hakel during Yehoshua's time, we wait till the establishment of kings. And yet, when Yehoshua crosses the Yardane with Am Yisrael, there is a focus on experience. They remove 12 stones from the Yardane to set up in Gilgal. Why? So that when your children will ask, Asher Yishalun B'nei Machar, very similar to language we have in Yitzhak Mitzrayim, or having our children ask. So when they ask, what are these stones? We can answer, because God dried up the land like he did at Kriyat Yamsuf, Lama'andat Kol Aretz at Yad Hashem, so that the nations in Kanaan will realize the strength of God's hand, and Laman Yeretem at Hashem Elokeichem Kol Hayamim, and also to instill fear in you. This is an experience. Crossing the Yardin is an experience that needs to be remembered, and so we will set up a monument so that you will see it and ask and remember. This continues in Parakhat of Yehoshua at Harival. Yehoshua goes and uh, as Moshe had instructed, he gives all the brachot and klalot on these mountains, certainly feeling very much like a reminder of what they've, uh, they've signed up for at Mahmad Har Sinai. And who is there? Again, everybody. Neged kol kahal, right? That assembly of Israel, Yisrael, vanashim vatafa, gerho lechber kirbam. And who's there? Everyone the women and the children and the converts, in addition to all of the men. The people, as soon as they enter Eretz Yisrael, must come and have an experience to remind them of why they're out to do what they're about to do in Eretz Yisrael, of living a life towards God. Finally, in Yoshua's final speech, um, he comes and uh, reminds the people again of, of his mission for them after he dies, and he gives a brief history of uh, what they underwent in the Midbar. But there's an event that is blatantly missing in his recollection of, uh, of those events. Mamad Harsinai doesn't make it into his top 10 speech, not exactly 10, but in his, his speech of top events that take place uh, in Jewish history, what you leave out Mamad Harsinai. But when you keep reading that parak, parak Haftalad, you see what Yehoshua is doing. Because what is he doing? He makes that generation undergo a Mamad Harsinai like experience themselves. He tells them, Gives them a choice. He says, I am about to leave, but you now, and you need to decide now who you will serve. If it's going to be the gods of these other nations, or if it's going to be the God who took us out of Egypt. He said, me and my family, we're going to serve God. And the Jewish people respond, they say, of course, of course we will, of course we will. 
And Yoshua says, do you realize it's going to be hard? Do you realize God is a zealous God? And if you misstep, he's going to come down harshly upon you. And they respond, No excuses, no reasons, almost like a Na'asev and Ishma, we are going to serve God. And Yeshua says, you will be witness today. Yes, we are witness. They undergo their own Mamad Harsinai experience. Because an experience will integrate that feeling in your heart, not just your mind. We have to remember that periodically, we have opportunities to inspire awe. Right? We've mentioned today, there's Ma'amad Harsinai, which we're supposed to recall daily. There's Hakel, that takes place every seven years that we were supposed to experience with the king. Then we have on a yearly basis, we have Sipuria Tiat Mitzrayim. Rav Aaron Lichtenstein also mentioned that Ma'asar Shani could serve as that as well. Every first, second, fourth, and fifth year of the Shemitah cycle, everyone was required to bring their produce, their Ma'asar, to be eaten in Yerushalayim. Why do we care where it's eaten? Because as soon as you're in Yerushalayim, in the Makoma Sharifchar Hashem, you're going to be mingling with the Kohanim, you're going to be seeing the Mikdash, you're going to be eating their food together with family, you're going to be giving tzedakah to the poor. It's going to leave an impression that will enhance someone's Yerat Hashem, as is described in those psukim, that Maser Sheni also will bring a person to Yerat Hashem. The question is how we can take these experiences and bring them to the point where they can impact us internally, where we don't miss those opportunities. Um, we are told by the Sefer Achinuch, if you missed Hakel, you missed a terrible opportunity. You'll be punished greatly. There's such a privilege, um, and it's a strong pillar of our faith to have this experience of Hakel. But if you miss it, you can't replace it. So how do we open ourselves up to these experiences? Rev Lichtenstein had a few pieces of advice. One, he said, you must open yourself up emotionally. Right When I go to my Seder table, right, am I ready to play the part, to be an active member, to lean, to picture myself leaving Mitzrayim? When I go to, you know, Aliyah uh, Regal, at least in our day, going to the Kotel um, on the Shalosh Regalim, am I allowing myself to be inspired by masses of people, maybe not as big as Hakel, but seeing lots of Am Yisrael together or at Siyum Hashas, do I let myself open up emotionally to those experiences? And second, do I see myself as standing before a Kadosh Baruch Hu? I have this experience, but I can be distracted by it, or I can allow it to connect me to God. Am I using this as a spiritual experience and not just something to take a picture of and say, wow, that was cool? And finally, do I acknowledge that these words are Dvar Hashem? Every time that I sit down and learn Torah and have an opportunity to, to experience something that is awesome and great, do I acknowledge that it is coming from God, that these words of Torah are not just intellectual, but it is something spiritual. And I think that's where we leave off. That's where we leave off with Hakel, where the goal is that we should teach our children to have fear of God. Because if we do that, the Kliyakar is of the opinion, like the Gemara, like the Sefer Chinuch, these children don't even understand. But, Ingrain it in them from a young age, and they will have it for all of their days. One of my uh, husband's, I would say, oft-quoted favorite Divrei Torah is from his 12th grade Rebbe of uh, Rabbi Avihar of the Rambam Masifta in the Five Towns. 
And uh, and he brings up this question, why should the parents get reward for bringing their children at Hakel? Right? We addressed it briefly before. But he brings a different explanation that I think is beautiful and very powerful. We're familiar with sports games, right? Where a family, avid sports fans, everybody comes in their jersey. Even the little child that they bring with who cannot talk is wearing the full paraphernalia for their sports team. Why is that? Keep the kid at home. Sit him down with the babysitter. But this family, you're so excited about this. You're so passionate about the team. Of course, my little child is going to come. I'm going to teach them young to love my favorite team. You know, I'm from Chicago, so it's probably the Cubs, but pick your team. And that is going to be imbued from a young age. If we can do that about Torah, bring our children from a young age. Tosvot says that this is a, a, a proof that, or, or something that can be relied upon to bring children to shul. So it doesn't have to be bringing children to shul necessarily, and there's debate about whether that's, you know, the way to go. But if I show my child my excitement for Torah from a young age, I'm going to bring you to the biggest massive gathering that exists, Hakel. And child, from a young age, you will be there. You will see that I, your parent, am passionate about it, and you will, Bezrat Hashem, gain that passion and awe and fear of God as well. That is our job, right? And that is deserving of extra schar for the people who bring the child. You have enough passion to bring that child, so you get schar for that. Because that is what God is trying to do at the end of the day, that we should have these experiences that are full, uh, you know, living experiences, so that these emotions of fear and awe of God stay with us forever and ever. We're told in Dvarim and uh, Dvarim Perak Dalid, and we say it every day in Aleinu, V'yadata hayom v'ashavota alavavecha. You should know today and inscribe it within your hearts. Ki Hashem hu alokim b'ashamayim ima'al v'ala'arts mitachat ein od. That there is one God who rules over the entire world, but you can't just intellectually know it. You must know it in your heart. Hakal, Yetzirah Mitzrayim, our yearly Seder, Ma'amad Har Sinai, even Maser Shini, they all teach us about the incomparable impact of experience. And Yoshua does the same, both in his interactions with Moshe, where his training went beyond the book, you know, went, went beyond what's, what's the, the specific guidelines of what he's supposed to do, but went towards serving him and observing his actions so that it's real life. And also in the experiences that Yoshua brought to the generation after the desert. We are now obligated to do the same for ourselves and our children. Whatever it is that we can do in our lives to make our Judaism come alive with passion, with awe, with fear, so that our fear and love of God goes beyond our intellect and is internalized into our hearts. Before we go, I would just like to remind everyone that Matan's Elul program will be taking place this year from August 29th through September 2nd, and the academic year will begin on Sunday, October 10th. You can find all the information you need to register on Matan's website, and we'll be looking forward to seeing you there in person. Please, God, everyone should have a healthy and wonderful summer. Thanks for listening. You can stream and download all Matan podcast episodes on Spotify, iTunes, and Matan's website. Feel free to share feedback with us as you listen. You can write us at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il. Lastly, please do Matan Podcast and Women's Torah Learning a small favor by sharing this podcast with family and friends so that we can reach new audiences. Shabbat Shalom.